Hello, welcome back to Sports Waves. Paxton Ritchie here alongside Carl Winter. Today we got a very special episode, special guests coming up later, so don't miss that. But first off, I want to give a shout out to something else that we're doing here at The Graphic, which is our weekly NFL picks. Uh, you can find those on The Graphic website and on social media. Uh, Carl, just explain that idea that you had. I mean, we we sort of started it in previous sports ways, but we've kind of tweaked that format into a new space in the paper. So, so talk about how you're making that happen. Yeah, we've had a lot of fun with the NFL picks so far. Pretty much our entire sports desk, there are six of us on the graphic staff that are making picks every week. And we just meet on Zoom as soon as one week ends and kind of talk about the games and have fun with it. I mean, you know, spit a lot of hot takes and and some interesting reasoning behind our picks. Just kind of a competition between us as a staff. And then uh, every week I've published what each person has picked and, and a quote or two, you know, justifying the pick. Um, and we've had a lot of fun with it. We had a tough start in week one. The best of us only went nine and seven, but week two has been a lot better um, entering the Monday night game. We, we all are, have bettered our record from the previous week. So it's been a lot of fun fun and, and check that out in the graphic as well yeah absolutely you've been on a roll this week you're going uh, I think you're 14 and one with a game to play thanks to the Cowboys or the Falcons <laughs> not being able to field an onside kick I got a game on you uh so if that game had swung in your favor you'd be 14 and one and I'd be 13 and two um but everybody on the staff had a much better week this week it was a little bit more predictable we had a good week the players on the other hand did not in the NFL with oh. You know, so many injuries to key players across the league. And I don't know if it's a combination of, well, the Niners complained about the turf at MetLife Stadium being a part of it. But, uh, but I think it also has to do with not having a preseason, just not being in condition and, and things happening, you know, late in a half or late in a game when guys are gassed. Absolutely. I mean, I, I hope this isn't a trend moving forward. We'll have to see what happens in weeks three and four. But really, this week two slate of games is the first time in a long time that players' bodies are being put through the, the grueling test of a football game in back-to-back weeks. They didn't have preseason to get out the kinks. The training camp was really different in how they could run it. Yeah, and football is not really a sport where you can change rules and have like an extra water break like in soccer or anything because it would completely change, you know, the clock management aspect of the game. So there there haven't been any rule changes in the NFL to get these guys extra rest. So definitely late in games, you see fatigue becoming a factor with defensive backs and wide receivers, you know, struggling to to run a two-minute drill or something like that. Um, and, it, and it resulted in kind of a, a tragic week with big names going down. Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, you know, Nick Bosa, Drew Locke, uh, just a slate of injuries um, that have crippled some teams and will affect them uh, for weeks to come. Yeah, and, and you, you touched on this earlier, but the 49ers played the Jets and, uh, and played the New York Giants on, on back-to-back weeks, and they've already come out publicly and said, look, we don't want to go on this turf again. We're going to die. <laughs> you, you can't blame them. How big of a story should this be this week that they're having to play on that field again? And let's not forget that the Jets and the Giants have to play on that field all season. Yeah, and, and the Niners have had their own issues with the, the playing surface at their stadium before, but, but this has got to be pretty major because, you know, it's a new turf that they just put in this year. And the Niners said that it was sticky before the game. Niners players were tweeting about the turf. And then 
every you know major injury to these Niners players and also to Brashad Perryman of the Jets, I think, went down with an injury. These are all lower leg injuries. It's not like it was a coincidental, you know, some guy's got a shoulder thing and some guy's got a chest thing. It was knee, knee, ankle, ankle, foot, knee. So the turf clearly had something to do with it. And, and the staff there at MedLife is going to have to figure it out before the Niners have to go out there again. And the Niners, that the winning the game was like the only thing that went right for them this week. Then you had their their MRI truck breaks down, so some of the players can get evaluated today. Their plane got hit on the runway before they even flew out to New York last Friday. It's been a tough week for them. Hopefully, some of these guys will only be out for a week or two and they'll be back um, at full strength. But but you know, Nick Bosa and Solomon Thomas, uh, at the very least, are probably out for the season. Yeah, Bosa for sure. We'll see on Thomas. I don't know if that was an ACL or not. Saquon Barkley, the Giants running back, also tearing his ACL. He was on the road in week two, but who knows? That turf in week one might have might have wore the knees out a little bit. Um, I want to give a shout out to Allie Levins. She's one of the people who uh, does our picks with us. My dad read the picks article, and his favorite line was Allie's about the 49ers and Jets game saying, how the 49ers were leaving a literal fire to fly into a dumpster fire that is the New York Jets. And they probably thought they were talking about the team, but I guess they were talking about the stadium as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And now that it'll be a question of how many injuries can the Niners sustain before they lose to the Giants this coming week? Or would, they, would it have taken for them to lose to the Jets? Because they still beat the Jets handily. I mean, they played the whole second half, but basically – all, having all their key players on the bench and it was 31-13. Jets really didn't put up that much of a fight in the second half as well. And Nick Mullins has played for the Niners before, but but a lot of teams are going to be running, you know, backup quarterbacks, backup running backs out there already in week three, which usually isn't something we'll we'll see a lot of backup quarterbacks maybe like week 13 or something if guys are going down with injuries, but it, it seems pretty early. Yeah, 49ers are lucky to have Nick Mullins, a, a backup QB with starting experience. But yeah, it, it kind of makes things, as you were saying, before the year, San Francisco 49ers would have been an easy pick against the Giants. Now, it, it, we're not so sure. We don't even know who's going to be on the field and who's not. So uh, especially for people like us, Remember, uh, you and I did, we did NFL picks last year on this show, and we finished in a dead heat at the end of the season with uh, Isaiah Evans, our good friend and former co-host, in a distant third place, just saying. But you and I were dead heat. We had a whole season, and we finished in the tie. So all it takes is, is something like the 49ers and the Giants to throw things off, or a game like the Falcons and the Cowboys, which was just bonkers. The Cowboys coming back from 20-point deficit. What was your biggest takeaway from that game, Carl? Do you think it was more about the Cowboys stepping up or the Falcons collapsing? Well, absolutely. You have to attribute it a little bit to the Falcons collapsing, just not being able to field an onside kick that would have been would have sealed the game. Um, but to give the uh, the Cowboys some credit, they, their defense was able to finally get a few stops when they needed them, and they, you know, the, the offense got the job done. The offense looked great. You know, Dak Prescott threw for 450 yards and rushed for three touchdowns. We knew their offense uh, could produce a performance like this. That's part of the reason I picked them to win this uh, past week. But uh, you know, still a lot of questions, you know, about the Falcons and the the Cowboys as well that remain to be seen. Falcons are an ugly two and or zero and two right now. Um, in, in winnable games. So that's tough for them. 
Well, maybe wow. week one wasn't winnable. I, I guess the Seahawks Seahawks kind of tore them apart. The the Cowboys are one and one, and the first game was also winnable for them. You know, and that's the thing is like you have to give credit to the Cowboys. Dak Prescott threw for four hundred and fifty yards and ran for three d three TDs on top of that. Cowboys didn't luck into this victory, even if Atlanta had just had one of eight guys have a brain on that last onside kick, they would have won the game. But even though the Cowboys won this game, I'm still not convinced as to who's the better team. Because the Falcons, with a defensive head coach, Dan Quinn, a former defensive coordinator for the Seattle Seahawks, has given up 38 and 40 in the first two games of the season. That's not what you want. Yet their offense has kept them in both of those games. And in, in the case of the Seahawks, it kept them in until the final few minutes, at least within some semblance of striking distance. And against the Cowboys, it had them in the driver's seat for the first 59-30 of the game. Uh, and the Cowboys, you have to be really concerned that it took this Herculean effort from Dak Prescott just to get to one and one. The fact that you needed every single point out of a 40-piece to win a ball game, I don't feel good about Dallas or really any team in the NFC East so far. Yeah, I agree. And you could say make the same uh, argument about Dallas. Mike McCarthy, you know, a defensive-minded head coach as well. And they've, you know, they lost to the Rams on the road where the offense didn't have a great day. But, you know, getting torched by Atlanta from the start and also a questionable call when they're down, I think, 39-30 and they decide to go for two on that instead of just kicking the PAT and then maybe scoring again, they, they might not have needed that extra drive. They could have sent the game to overtime. They might not have needed that miracle onside kick recovery in order to win this game. And yet they did. And they came back from you know, down 15 with less than five minutes to go, um, which is remarkable, but you know, it, it's going to be, it's going to be difficult to predict teams like this for future weeks that are still on and off. Now Mike McCarthy, he's a Super Bowl winning head coach. He's won a lot of games. He, he deserves to be given a lot of credit for his career, but the media and social media world is unforgiving. And at this stage, what Mike McCarthy is known for is wasting Aaron Rodgers' talent and having a, a historically great quarterback in Aaron Rodgers and nearly holding him back with the play calling and, and the questionable offenses that, that he has run. And he's got a similar – Dak Prescott's not Aaron Rodgers, but he's a, a similar in that he's an above-average NFL QB who seems primed for a big breakout season, could make himself the highest-paid player in the NFL if he plays his cards right. But we kind of just needed to see Dak take the game into his own hands at the last minute, and he pulled it off. But before that, it was nothing. Yeah, and Aaron Rodgers isn't – I saw he was down 14 nothing early, and then he erased that deficit immediately um, and has just put up video game numbers that we're kind of used to seeing from him, even though he's like 36 years old now, 2-0 start for the Packers. So he's been pretty convincing as well with LaFleur in, in year two for them. Last game I want to talk about with you is uh, another Sunday night class between two really uh, historically great franchises of this decade. Seattle Seahawks and the New England Patriots, two oldest head coaches matching up in NFL history. 
and two all-time greats, Pete Carroll, who has a Super Bowl and a national championship, and of course, Bill Belichick and his six rings, but with a new college-style offense with Cam Newton under center. This one went down to the wire just like every Seahawks-Patriots meeting has. It, it ended with the Patriots on the goal line, running the football, and not getting the job done. Yeah, and it was it was a pretty impressive game on both ends. Uh, the Seahawks rushed for 150-plus yards. Just looked great on offense. Russell Wilson looked great again. I'm going to try and make another MVP case, it looks like. Um, but really impressive by the Patriots going on the road, the second game of you know, the Cam Newton era. Yeah, no, Patriots, the Cam Newton version of the New England Patriots, they're dangerous. I I don't think we can crown the Buffalo Bills just yet. And you know, I, I was a big Bills guy last year. I still believe in them as a team. I saw the Patriots Super Bowl odds at 25 to 1 today. I would hop on that, honestly. I, I think Cam Newton is is a great quarterback, but um, honestly, I think the big factor was the crowd. Cam Newton didn't have anybody rattling him on the goal line or on those drives. He had no 12th man in his ear, which has held him back significantly in Carolina. So it was a close game, uh, but the Seahawks did get it done. We've got a lot more sports to talk about, but I feel like we should have more than two voices on the show. Let's bring in Rocco Catone. He's a first-year Pepperdine student. He is on the water polo team here at Pepperdine. Rocco, thank you so much for coming on and joining us. Thanks, Paxson. Uh, glad to be here. Glad you guys reached out to me to be on this. Pretty cool to know that there's a podcast on campus. So, Rocco, I know you're living on campus. You want to just talk a little bit to start about that process? I know you're, you're from NorCal. Carl is also a NorCal guy. Uh, so what was that process like to get you down here and what's it been like living in that that ghost town of campus right now ghost town's right man it's real quiet around here I had about a four and a half drive hour drive down here and then getting on campus was pretty easy just moving everything in getting in my room and once you're once I was on I had to do a three-day quarantine I got tested about I don't know, a few hours after moving in. And then after that, I had to quarantine for three days, just chilling in my room. Meals were delivered from the cafeteria, which were uh, actually, like, pretty good. But they were, like, small portions, which kind of sucked. After that, just getting an antibody test to make sure, see if I've ever had it. And other than that, I've been good to go. Just living on campus, which uh very empty. There's not much open. There's the cafeteria and the mail room. And that's about it. And there's... Not too many people around campus. Uh, I go down to the track and run two hoops on the basketball court there, and I see people there, and that's about it, though. Not too much going on. I wish we had delivery, <laughs> like, last year. <laughs> like, free for the calf, that'd be sweet. Oh, yeah, it was pretty sweet, just chilling in the room all day. Yeah, they talked about doing delivery if people were on campus this year and, like, mobile ordering and stuff, which would be nice if they had it with, uh, even when we weren't in COVID times. Um, but Rocco, I guess you haven't really seen campus, like all the hustle and bustle that it normally is being that you're, you know, a true freshman or a first year student, but it also must be kind of weird, you know, being with a limited number of your teammates and not getting to practice with the whole team. So what's that been like? Have you been able to get in the pool at Pepperdine at all? Or what's it been like trying to get to know your teammates? So this has actually been pretty fortunate. Um, we had four guys move in off the bat and then in the last 
two weeks, we've had another four guys move in, and they've gone. They're going through their process of like quarantine, getting tested, and all that. And they've been slowly trickling into the daily workouts we do. Uh, Pepperdine did a nice job of getting lots of rig, like uh, gym rigs, you know, like for weights and stuff out on the tennis courts. And so we've been able to work out for an hour every day on the tennis courts, lifting weights and everything. I've been able to meet a lot of the guys because they live in the area, which is cool. So I was pretty lucky with that. But then tomorrow is our first day actually getting in the pool. And we're not going to be able to run a full practice, but we're going to be able to swim last, which is awesome because all of us are pretty out of shape. You know, it's hard to train like your conditioning for water polo without a pool. So we're super lucky to be getting in tomorrow. What what do you even do without a pool for water polo? I mean, obviously it's a lot of it's a lot of core stuff, and you you can obviously keep stay in physical shape for the most part. But how do you even try to replicate what you do in the water without being in the water? There's really not. It, it's hard, man. There's a thing called like a rebounder net. It's just uh like a little two by two square like trampoline net you can set up on the ground and you just grab a ball and throw into it while you're standing like on the ground that's about the best thing to like work on just like you're throwing but other than that you can't really like replicate anything you do in the water which sucks have you heard anything about are you guys targeting like a season in the spring because obviously you guys along with every program are going to need a long time to get up to speed yeah so the ncaa Last week came out with the target championship date, and that is going to be March 20th and 21st. It's going to be like a weekend tournament. And then our season was set to start maybe like January 16th. So we'll have like a few months for all of our in-conference games and tournaments before the national championship. And so getting in the pool next week or tomorrow will give us about three and a half months to get to train before season. Yeah, they, they did something similar for my sport as well. They said that they'd, you know, there might be a spring season in March. Uh, March 15th, I think, was the target they put for our NCAA championship in cross country, which would be interesting because uh, the indoor track championships are scheduled for like the same weekend. So we're not sure if it'll be in addition to indoor or or if indoor will be eliminated completely. Um, but yeah, it's just strange trying to cram everything in the spring, but I guess, you know, having something to look forward to is, is better than nothing at this point for us. Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. So for cross country, do a lot of students like also compete in the indoor track? Yeah, not at Pepperdine or our women do, but our men don't. Um, but yeah, it's interesting because, you know, cross country is much more of a team oriented sport whereas in track you know sprinters and jumpers and hurdlers also factor into the team scoring but I'd say most distance runners prefer to run cross country over indoor so they could also you know just have distance runners do cross country and everybody else do indoor so right couldn't break that up just one weekend apart like come on (laughs) so Rocco I, I got a question for you Carl is the only person I know who follows like professional running and like actually watches like events that aren't the Olympics. I don't know anybody else in the world that does that. And I know, I know that water polo is kind of in the same boat where it's obviously a very big deal in the Olympics, but there's not really much of a, of a pro circuit, at least in the United States. So is, is water polo a, a sport that you watch when you're not playing it? Or how do you, how do you follow it when you're not in the pool or, or do you even? 
Yeah, I'd be the Carl of like people I know in in my community because there is a pro league over in Europe, and it's called like uh, Lynn Championships, and I forget what it stands for, like Euro League or something in there. But uh, it's like really big over in Europe, and so a lot of like Croatian, Italian, Hungary, and like the countries up in that area all have like club teams and they get together and they play. And so I watch it on YouTube, which is pretty cool because in the U.S. isn't really involved in that. There's no pro league or any sort of like big championship stuff here. And they don't even play in that tournament. So it's just a bunch of Europeans. And it's really interesting to watch because I can't understand the commentators speaking different languages every time. But uh, it's still fun to watch. Are you able to live stream it? Are you are there full replays? Or are you just watching highlights? Like what type of video is it? There's just like one random guy on YouTube that records every game and, and uploads oh. full replay. So super clutch. Like I don't know like how if it's like live streamed or on TV somewhere, but I just watch this one guy who uploads all of them. And then there's some accounts that go through and make highlight reels of like certain players or certain games. Just those are really fun to watch. You know, Rocco, are you like an outlier on your team? in terms of people who follow water polo as like a fan or being a fan of the sport or do most of your teammates also kind of follow the European circuit and follow it um, outside of playing? Cause on my team, there are some that follow professional running to the most, not to the extent I do. And there are some that, that just don't care about it at all that, that run, but aren't really fans of, you know, the, the upper echelons of the sport. So I'm wondering if your teammates are like that as well, or if most of them are fans of the sport as well. No, same thing. I think, probably a vast majority don't follow it at all. And then maybe a couple of guys who watch it like every now and then and like hardly anyone like follows it, you know? I'll, I'll be the first guy to, to stick out on a limb and say I've never watched one of those European water polo matches. So, so break it down for us. You know, what are some of the best, you know, countries, some of the top teams, you know, like what are, what are some of the storylines of that season? So Hungarians and Croatians are like, they're that they're like the uh, U.S. men's basketball team for the Olympics, you know. But for water polo, like they just they don't lose. Like they're like those two different countries are always the top dogs, like, like winning everything. Right now, I don't know. I don't really understand how their season's working with like Corona in this situation because they've like the, some games were played, but I don't know if they're doing their full tournament style thing. But they usually kind of do like a tournament style, I think where they have different rounds and you like play all the teams. And if you keep winning, you keep advancing up into like, you know, semifinals, finals and all that. And these are club teams, right? This isn't like a national team competition. Yeah. They're club teams. Yeah. Is the play style or rules or anything different over there in Europe than, than the like game length and, and rules and all the stuff that you guys play here in college in the U S so all of, like the rules are same are the same, and I think the pool size might be a little bit bigger by like five meters. But I think other than that, everything's the same. But the play style is vastly different, and it's kind of weird. It's like even on like East Coast versus West Coast of the U.S., play styles are different. Uh, in the West Coast, it's very physical and like hands on. People are wrestling a lot, and on the East Coast, people are more like distant with each other. They're very technical and like calculated with everything they do and so if you're playing like what as a west coast like play style in the east coast you're going to get kicked out a lot you know it's kind of like a like fouls in basketball 
because, you know, like some refs are going to let some stuff go and others aren't. So West Coast players are going to get a lot of fouls when they go to the East Coast. And then in Europe, they take physical to, like, another level. These guys are all just, like – they're all, like, pretty old guys. Like, they're, like, men, you know, so they got the dad strength and the dad bods. And so they just wrestle, dude. It's it's brutal. They're all, like, tw- like late 20s and third, like early 30s just powerhousing everything. How did you get into water polo, Rocco? Did you always play it growing up? Did you play other sports? What made you kind of settle on this one? So I grew up playing a lot of sports, like some, you know, like some people do basketball, baseball. Um, I never got into football or soccer, but I played pretty much everything else. I like golf a lot. And then when I was, I want to say 10, I heard about water polo because like one of our family friends played in high school, went, went and watched the game. And I was like, oh, my God, a sport in the water sounds so awesome because in the summer times where I'm from, it just gets to, like, 105 all the time. And I hated playing baseball like because I always, always had to wear pants and everything. I would just sweat. And I was like, as a kid, I was like, I hate this so much. So I just got in the – I got in the water pool simply because it was in the water and I'd be cool. But I just kind of fell in love with, like, the action and, like, how quick it is. Uh, yeah, you sound a lot like me. I was, you know, I was pretty tall, so I played basketball also growing up and played baseball and didn't get into running really until high school as well. Um, but I was talking to Paxton about this earlier. Is it rare to have a guy your size? You're, you're listed at 6'6 six, six on the roster. Um, does, does that reach help you a lot in water polo or, or a lot of the guys, you know, more compact, have a lower center of gravity? It's weird. Um, I think it helps a lot. But water polo is a sport where you can get away with being short more so than other ones. Because, like, in the water, you can't really tell when someone's tall until, you, like, if someone's guarding you and they can, like, they have, like, really long limbs, they can kind of, like, reach around and, like, do weird stuff. But there's, like, it's almost like UFC, you know, like, short guys have different advantages over tall guys with the way they can move their bodies quickly and get shots off versus a long guy. Like, it's going to take longer to – shoot the ball and do stuff. And I'd say most of the guys on my team are, I think pretty much everyone is above six foot. And then maybe like six or seven guys are above six, four. So there is, there are a lot of tall people, but some of the best, best players I've like been in the sport, like all like the top names. So some of them have been like five, nine, five, seven guys. We mentioned that, that we're both from Northern California. Uh, your Merced's about an hour from where I'm from in Stockton. And I obviously have dealt with those hot summers as well. But I was wondering, uh, because I'm from Stockton, but I'm a fan of all Chicago teams because that's where my mom's from. Uh, do you follow other pro sports outside of water polo? And is it just, you know, Bay Area teams that you root for? Um, or are you not really huge into following, you know, other pro sports? Um, I follow the, like other pro sports a little bit. Um, not really football. But basketball and baseball, um, a lot of my best friends are just huge baseball fans. So I just stay, like, updated, you know, just to be able to talk with them about it. And I like, like, the Oakland, I like the Raiders and the A's. Um, super psyched to see that the Raiders are now in Vegas. That's kind of cool. We got a sweet new stadium. We got to talk about that, though, because that's the first time I've ever heard a Bay Area native say they were psyched to see the Raiders in Vegas. So so what what is it, DJ? You just like the new stadium and you know it's going to be good for the team. Like, what's what's behind you sticking with the Raiders after they left Oakland? Um, it's just such a nice stadium. And it, it, Oakland's not 
you know, the best place to just go and like hang out for a weekend, you know, like you want to go watch a game. I think it'd be a lot better to go to Vegas, you know, go and check it out there. Sweet new stadium. I think it's, I think it's a fun move. Oakland A's are doing really well also. They're, they are. They're about to win that division. Yeah, the A's are a fun team to be a fan of. Growing up in NorCal uh, with us, I'm sure Rocco has seen this too. So many people are Giants fans because, I mean, even if they weren't before, but when you grow up and you're, the team from your area wins three championships when you're, you know, 10 to 14 years old or, you know, you're, you're a young teenager, it's easy to become a fan of that team if you weren't already. But I really respect the people that have been A's fans since the beginning and stuck with them. And it's always a fun team to be a fan of because they're, you know, they're always the underdogs, but yet they're consistently very good. This is the third straight year they've made the postseason. They've already clinched that. But yeah, it's, it's always nice to see the A's do well. I enjoy watching them as well, usually. Dude, Carl, Carl nailed it. I mean, just like everyone's a Giants fan. I mean, I'm sure he, he's, he's right. Like everyone's a Giants fan. And so it's fun, like and the A's, you know, they're the underdogs. They're fun to root for. Yeah, I've always, I've always had a lot of respect for the A's because Moneyball is my favorite movie ever. But uh, I, I can't like them too much because they, they pretty much have consistently blocked uh, my Seattle Mariners from reaching the playoffs for the past twenty oh, years. Mariners fan, huh? I, well, it's where, it's where I'm from. I was born into it. I didn't choose it. Uh, <laughs> but, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, we've we've been. It, it seems like every year that we are close to the playoffs, it's Oakland that's a couple games ahead of us. I know it was like that in uh, 2016, where uh, we ended up one game behind Oakland for the final wild card spot. Uh, so it's just been kind of that that kind of. I mean, you know, the history of the Mar. It, it's so funny when you go to other stadiums and they have like these long highlight reel tapes of like you know storming the field or winning titles or hitting clutch home runs our highlight tape is like two plays <laughs> i know them both i know what's going to go on the screen before i even walk in the stadium you know i can count them on one hand you know the 30 <laughs> second clip that it is <laughs> yeah, exactly exactly i i know the announcer call by heart i know all of it but, you know it's just uh, one thing I thought was really funny is that um, we've got, I, I don't know how closely you follow baseball, uh, Rocco, but we've got this uh, rookie outfielder named Kyle Lewis, who's doing very well. And um, he's been doing great, but he, he kind of came up at the tail end of last season and appeared in like 10 games or something like that. And at the start of the season, he was like the main guy in our promo materials for opening day. And, like, he turned out to be good, but, like, this guy had 10 games of MLB experience, and we were showing clips from, like, the three home runs he hit in those 10 games as, like, this guy's, like, a center of our roster. And I was like, oh, boy. Yeah, I've, I've been to one game in Seattle, and I remember, like, the most hyped part of the game was when the closer, Diaz, came in. Like, the, the crowd went wild, and they had – I mean, a lot of teams have, like, kind of a hype music or hype video for when their closer comes in, but that was, like – the most excited the crowd got throughout the game was, was when they were introducing the closer. Yeah, then we traded him. Rocco, do you have a basketball team that you support? Are you a Golden State guy, or do you, do you kind of look elsewhere? I don't like the Warriors. Um, I just, like, really don't like them, which is, like, rare. But, uh, I don't know, I kind of like the Lakers, you know. My roommate's been keeping me updated. He finds a way to watch every game. And so he's been keeping me updated, and he's a huge Lakers fan. 
So it's pretty sweet. Has as your uh, has not liking the Warriors has that been a lifelong thing or has that been since uh, the dynasty years? Since like the dynasty years, you know, and like because I didn't really I didn't care about basketball before it. I haven't really started liking about. I didn't really care about like pro sports until like a couple years ago. And I just kind of kind of started watching them. It's like certain like guys in the team. I just don't really like them, you know. But it is fun to watch them play because like they are really good, you know. I've seen that as well in NorCal. Uh, nobody really cared about the Warriors until they started winning titles. But then when so many people jumped on the bandwagon, anyone that didn't hated the bandwagon um, because so many people were Warriors fans out of the blue, which I, it happens when any team is successful. If the Kings are ever good, I'm sure there will be a lot of people that claim they were Kings fans out of nowhere. Uh, Rocco, I know you pay attention to water polo in the Olympics. What I know the Olympics have been pushed back a year, but is it going to be uh, Hungary and Croatia for the gold medal. I mean, how is the, I know there's been a lot of Pepperdine alums and even Pepperdine coaches on the, on the U S Olympic staff. So uh, how, how is that team shaping up and looking? Honestly, I'm not entirely sure for this next year. Like, I feel like it's, it's always hard to tell for like, just from like my eyes, but we should have a really good team. There's like a few college guys that are like joining the roster that are like going to be really good assets. I think. And the older guys are great. And just the coaching staff is always, like, pretty amazing. And here at Pepperdine, it's pretty cool because both, both of my coaches both played in the Olympics and, like, helped coach, which is pretty awesome. But I was sad to hear in 2028 when L.A. is hosting the Olympics that uh, the water polo won't be back at Pepperdine like it was in 84, the last time L.A. hosted. But I guess it is kind of a logistical challenge. Imagine trying to get parking for an Olympic event at Pepperdine. I know, with as bad as it is normal. <laughs> when you can't even get parking to a class. Because <laughs> I, I haven't experienced that, but from what I'm, told, what I'm told, it's when everyone's on campus, parking is awful. Enjoy it now. I don't, do you have a car? Yeah, I do. And I just pull into the front spot every time because there's like 20 cars outside in my building. I don't know. Get out of here. That <laughs> you got food delivery. You're living the dream right now, dude. I'm not. I'm in a freshman dorm. Like, this is insane, dude. COVID is the best thing to ever happen. I'm being in a freshman dorm my freshman year. This is rigged. Oh, well, we all want to get back on campus soon and, and take your parking spot. But uh, we're happy that, happy that you're, uh, you're settling in. And it's been such a great conversation, Rocco. You're, you're welcome to hop on anytime. Yeah, dude, I'd love to hop, hop back on. You guys are fun to talk to. Appreciate you being on. And, uh, sharing all your experiences yeah all right boys thank you thanks marco appreciate it yeah see you guys for more info on this podcast and to hear about upcoming episodes make sure you follow us on twitter at sportswaves pod and to keep up with the other podcasts breaking news and more from the graphic follow them on twitter and instagram at pep graphic or visit pepperdine-graphic.com